one, once I got it, I thought it was brilliant. So let's, uh, let's pray for a moment, and then we'll, we'll share a little bit out of God's Word. Father, we tell you we love you, and we thank you for this uh, mercy that you give us today as we gather, Jesus, in your name. Lord, for all those who are not here but are here by, uh, by, the, inter- by the Internet, we pray, Lord, your blessing that in each home represented, Lord, your Holy Spirit rests there, that you come. Lord, that you cover us with the blood of Christ, that you lead us, Lord, Holy Spirit, into all truth. And that in that truth, Father, there is freedom. Lord, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today what I want to do is I'm, uh, I'm going to be following the, uh, the texts that, uh, that are assigned for today in the church calendar, uh, most of them. I'm, I want to look at Psalm 1 to start with. Um, and it just says, uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, and then the, 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 that's, that's the NIV translation right there. And uh, it, the NIV is pretty close to the New King James Version, except for that first verse. Uh, the first verse, the, the words used are a little different. Um, and so I wanted to read those too. So NIV says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And the New King James says, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. NIV says, Or stand in the way sinners take. Uh, King James says, Nor stands in the path of sinners. And then uh, NIV says, Or sit in the company of mockers. And King James says, Nor sits in the, in the uh, seat of the scornful. So let's just unpack this a little bit. Blessed is the one. So this psalm basically contrasts those who are blessed and those who are uh, not blessed. You know, they, It contrasts those who walk with God and those who don't walk with God. And uh, there's a little bit, of a little bit of counsel here. You know, blessed is the one. So how do, you, how do you act as a blessed person? When you say yes to Christ and you give Christ your life, um, you know, this is actually reflected a little bit in the uh, Sermon on the Mount as well in Matthew chapter uh, 5, uh, where it talks about the blessed are those, right? Um, and I used to sort of look at that passage and think, blessed are those, so if you do this, you will get blessed. And I'm um, going, hold it. No, that's not actually not the way it is. Blessed are those, those of us who have said yes to Christ, the scripture teaches, we have died to the old self. We are no longer under the curse of the law. Uh, we're no longer on the, under the curse of being separated from God. We have been joined to God, and we belong to Him. And so we're blessed. Sort of like being a part of a, a healthy family. I don't know who here was a part of a healthy family, or what you would consider to be a healthy family. 
But when I was a young boy, I, I guess my family was fairly healthy. Um, and I was blessed to be a part of that family, especially compared to some of the other guys that I knew that were not part of healthy families, right? There's this idea that when we're joined to the family of God, we come under the blessing of God. We are not left alone. You know, as we face death someday down the road, as all of us will, we will not be left alone on that deathbed. You know, I was reminded of my grandmother on her deathbed. She was hollering at God, come and get me. <laughs> uh, I'm going, I, uh, you know, she scared the daylights on all my cousins because nobody had ever seen uh, someone like her who was so eager to go be with her Lord. But she was 90, I don't know, what was she, 98 or something like that. And she was done here, and she was ready to go. Uh, she was blessed, and she knew that the blessing, the ultimate blessing of being with Jesus was so close. So anyway, you know, this psalm, it talks sort of about the blessing that we receive as people who are part of the, the family of God as we walk this life. So let's look at this a little bit. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or as the NKJV says, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And there's a little bit of a warning in this passage in some ways. You know, who is it that you take counsel from? Anyone here ever got bad advice? I've, I've got bad advice before. I've probably given a little bit of bad advice. Sorry, Len, I didn't mean to do it, right? Um, but, you know, when we think about the wicked, so we think about the advice, but it basically that's what it says. It says, blessed is the person who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Who's a wicked person? You know, you might think about a wicked person as a witch or a Satanist or something like that. Well, I hate to say it, but it extends a little bit beyond that. You know, when Paul defines sin, you know, when you think about a wicked person, a wicked person by definition is somebody who is dedicated to their sin. And there's a difference between someone who's dedicated to their sin and some, someone who struggles with sin. Who here struggles with sin? We all do, right? Who here is dedicated to your sin? Oh, somebody twitched. Did somebody twitch? Don't twitch. That's like my dad, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we went to the auction, and I, I'm standing down by the rails, and dad's up in the stands, and I turned around and waved at him, and he waved back, and he just about bought a cow, right? So, you know, you want to be careful how you twitch in church. Um, who here is dedicated to your sin? Well, hopefully, hopefully none of us here is dedicated to your sin. But I have met people dedicated to their sin. Um, and I would have to say there were times in my life when I was dedicated to my sin. And in that time, I would be considered a wicked person. You know, uh, Paul defines sin as whatever is not of faith. When we refuse to trust God, when we refuse to live in the way that God has called us to live, we become dedicated to our sin. We become dedicated to our selfish. So there's a bunch of words you could use to describe somebody who's dedicated to their sin or somebody who's wicked. Um, you could say their life is selfish. It is all about me. I become a spiritual narcissist, right? I'm right. God is wrong. And I will live my, my life my way. He says, you want to be careful about people like that. Even if they look successful. There, there are lots of wicked people out there who have gained success through their wickedness in a sense. You know, they're rich, they're wealthy, uh, they may have been successful. Uh, but in the process, they betrayed and destroyed many people to get where they are. And ultimately, they die alone. 
You know, people don't love someone who's dedicated to their sin. So he says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Be careful about the counsel that you take. So that means that you're going to have to make some judgment calls. You know, we're told not to judge. And yet Paul also says we are called to judge. In other, there's, there's differences between judgment. You know, when we talk about judging someone, um, who here, you know, you've seen the old, uh, you've seen the movie Gladiator, right? Or, or the, the movie Eagle, right? And, and they're all, uh, you know, they've, 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 they've got this battle going on in the ring and some guy's on the ground and the other gladiator's ready to kill him and everybody's going like this, right? When you, when you do the negative judgment, kill him, right? Condemn him, whatever. That's one form of judgment. Or they go life. They go judge positively. We want this guy free. We want this guy to live. That's a positive judgment. And the third kind of judgment is to be able to differentiate. It's a simple kind of judgment. It's a judgment that says that's a pew and that's a floor. It says that's a woman, that's a man. We make judgments. And so we are called to be careful of the people that we accept counsel from. Are they a godly person? Have they dedicated themselves to Christ? Are they a selfless person? Is, where does their wisdom come from? Or are they a selfish person? Are they a person dedicated to their sin? Will their advice turn you toward a place of selfishness? You know, it reminds me of a couple of stories. A couple of guys that I knew. I had a friend of mine uh, and his, uh, his wife um, left him for somebody else. And uh, so the biblical term would be she committed adultery and she went after somebody else. And I remember him coming to me one time and he was really struggling and he was in a place of pain and he was going, what do I do? You know, she's gone, she's gone with somebody else and, you know, me, I'm thinking, okay, biblically, well, what can you do? Well, in the case of adultery, that is the one time that Jesus says you can divorce somebody and it's legit, a legitimate divorce. So that's the advice I gave him. I didn't tell him to divorce her, but I said, this is the freedom you have. You can divorce this person. So he went, I'll think about this. And he went home, and then he came back. And he said, you know what? He said, I, I'm going to wait for her. He says, I prayed about this. I don't feel God is asking me to divorce her. I feel like God's asking me to wait for her. Now, he had a bunch of other friends that were giving him hard counsel to get rid of her. Get rid of her, get your lawyer, get everything you can get out of the relationship, make sure you get what, what's coming to you, make sure that she doesn't get any more than you have to give her. And some of these friends of his were being extremely, in that sense, selfish. And the advice she, he was getting was, get all you can get and get out. As he prayed, God laid on his heart, I want you to wait for her. So that's what he committed himself to do. Well, a couple of years went by, and he got a phone call. And the phone call was that his wife, who had left him, who he was still married to because he had not pursued a divorce, uh, was sick now. And it was life terminal illness, and she was going to die. And the guy that she had pursued had dumped her 
and moved on. He didn't want to deal with it. So she phoned him up and he, she said, this is where I'm at. And he said, you come back home then. And he took her back home. And over the next year, she went through her death process. He took care of her. Their relationship was reestablished. It was deepened. And they experienced a year of intimacy like they had never experienced before. You know, he was getting two types of advice. The world and some of the people that he knew in the world were giving him selfish advice. Wicked advice, in fact. And he chose to follow the advice that came from the Holy Spirit. Godly advice. And this godly advice that he followed was unselfish advice. It cost him something in terms of pride. And he laid down his pride and he dedicated himself to the way of God. Because remember, that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus didn't come to get what he could get. Jesus came to give everything. And so this unselfishness became the core of the godly advice that he took. You know, I think about another guy I knew. He was a businessman. And uh, he entered into a partnership with a guy that was, that was a little shady. And he didn't really know that this guy was shady. And his business partner ultimately stripped the money uh, out of the company and took off and ran. And he left my buddy to hold the bag. So my buddy, he goes looking for advice. And, uh, you know, the advice he got was very, very, uh, how do you put it? It was very logical advice. And uh, ultimately, the advice he got was declare ba bankruptcy. Um, you know, his creditors would have got, I don't know, a couple of cents on the dollar for their investments. And he would have uh, gone through a time of um, bankruptcy, you know, whatever, right? All the stuff that's uh, associated with this. And he would have come out the other end free and clear, uh, ready to start over again. So then uh, my friend, uh, he, he's a believer. Uh, and one of the things that was happening in his life at, at that time was he was, he was a fresh, I mean, a fairly new believer. And he was fascinated with the things of Jesus. And so he comes and we talk a little bit and we pray together. And he gets this conviction that I cannot declare bankruptcy. I don't want to declare bankruptcy. He says, what I'm going to do is exactly the opposite of what this world is telling me to do. I am going to trust God with what is happening to my company. So he trusted God. Well, it got worse. And... Uh, Pretty soon, you know, the building was shut down. He had to sell the building off. And he took all the money, all the proceeds from the property, the building, and he worked. And he was, he was a pretty bright boy, so he, he was an inventor. So he began, he began to invent again in his spare time. He marketed a couple of things. And anyway, it took him about five, five years. But with all that God gave him to do, he paid off all the debts. Um, and he thought, okay, I'm done with this now. I'm not running any more businesses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do my thing. But he, the guy's an inventor. And he couldn't quit inventing because that's the way his brain works. He invented a couple other things. And somebody saw this. Uh, one thing that he invented, a little bit of oil field equipment. And uh, they came to him and they said, you know what? we would like to bankroll you as we begin to develop this equipment that you have invented. And uh, my, my buddy, he goes, uh, well, I need more than what you, you can offer. He said, I need, uh, I need credit with local suppliers and all that kind of stuff. And so he thought to himself, 
I'll just try. So he phoned some of his old local suppliers. And they said, you? Yeah, we'll give you a line of credit. Absolutely we will. He says, well, my last business caved in. Yeah, but you paid everything off. They said, you showed your honesty. You showed that we can depend on you. We will risk with you again. Anyway, so he ultimately started into another business. But again, right? The counsel. Who is giving you counsel? And sometimes the counsel of God does very often does not fit the counsel that this world will give you. So the psalm says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, who does not take the counsel of the ungodly. So you want to be careful what kind of counsel you're getting. Counsel you're getting. Is the counsel you're getting godly? Is it selfless? Is it the kind of counsel that takes you toward trusting God rather than manipulating, rather than trying to do it yourself, rather than becoming selfish? Blessed is the one who takes the counsel of God. Blessed is the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. So again, you know, when you think about the course of action that lays before you, is it a godly course of action? Is it an ungodly course of action? Blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. What does a mocker do? He's talking about the kind of people that mock God. You know, the more you sit in that kind of company, you know, um, the, the more you begin to harden your heart. I remember when I was a young uh, believer and I was just beginning to follow Christ and I was sort of determined to uh, um, keep all my old friends and I was going to follow Jesus at the same time. And uh, it didn't work well for me because a lot of my old friends, they were heading in a very different direction. Uh, some of them openly mocked my faith. And I found myself driven to a place where I had to take my stand. And as I took my stand, some of my old friends said, you know what, we're done with you. And they walked away. It's really hard as you choose to follow Christ. The scripture says that people of this world will not understand your commitment. That you will begin to live and walk in a way that does not fit with this world. And they will mock you for it. And you will not be able to walk both paths. So a person that does not stand in the way of, a, of the mockers, sit, that does not sit in the company of, of the mockers, is a person who is actively engaged in following their Lord. Well, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Jacqueline had us in here yesterday uh, on Saturday. And so for every Saturday for the next 10 weeks, uh, she's doing a Saturday 1 o'clock uh, workshop on meditation, um, Christian meditation. And this is the call of the psalmist right here. Blessed is the one who meditates on his law day and night. As we meditate on the law of God, you know, um, Philippians talks about, think on, is there anything good? Is there anything perfect? Is there anything praiseworthy? He says, think on these things. Fill your mind with these things. And so it is with the law of God. When you think about and you meditate on the law of God, you know, I think about Billy Graham. Billy Graham used to say that he would, he would read a proverb, I think, every day. There's 31 proverbs, one for every day of the month. 
and he would read those Proverbs, he would meditate on them. Those are wisdom from God. As you meditate on God's law and on his wisdom, it changes you. It changes the way you think. And you will find yourself beginning to move toward the direction that God calls you to. So, so soak yourself in the law of the Lord. Meditate on that law. Um, fill your mind with that. The results of this blessed lifestyle is that the person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. What does that mean? To be planted by the streams of water. Well, the streams of water, otherwise in the scripture, uh, you know, Revelations talks about the streams, the river that comes from the throne of God. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. When a person walks uh, uh, in, in godly ways and meditates in the law of the Lord, it says that person will be nourished by the presence of God. And in due season, you will bear fruit. doesn't mean you're going to bear fruit all the time around, uh, you know, all, all year round. But it means in the proper season, right? When you slow down and you plant yourself in the presence of God, God will pour out his blessing. You know, John 15, Jesus said that of his disciples. He said, I chose you. I have picked you. You know, some of us, you know, as we wonder why we're here today, it's because God has chosen you for a time and a purpose. God has called you, and you have responded to that call. And so here we are, right? That's one of the things, actually, that should give us hope in this time of COVID, even. You know, as we look at COVID, and we look at what all the stuff is going on, and, you know, when I watch the news, I just see uh, fear in all directions. Well, I shouldn't say just fear. I also see a lot of anger. When those things drive us, the scripture says we will not accomplish the purposes of God. James 1 says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So, but when we take our time in this season to plant ourselves in the presence of God, to meditate um, on his word, to soak ourselves, he says God will prepare a season for us to bear fruit. So, you know, it's... Uh, I often think about that. It's sort of interesting, you know. I I went to Mission, um, BC. We used to live in Mission, and when we lived in Mission way back when, there was a service we used to do. We called it the Remnant, and Remnant. There were it was an evening service. It was in a church on Seventh Avenue, and I would go there and I would preach. Uh, and there were nights there was six, seven people there. There were nights there were sixty people there. And I never knew how many people would show up. And sometimes there were different people there. Sometimes it was a little challenging. One night I, was, I got cursed out by a gang member until he found out I was a pastor. And, and then, then, you know, he backed off a little bit, right? So was, there, were, there were some interesting and dicey moments in this place. It was quite interesting. Um, but I remember walking away from that. I preached at that service for a couple of years. And I remember walking away from that service. That service never grew, really. It sort of fluctuated, you know, in attendance, probably on average, maybe 12 to 25. Um, and I remember walking away from that service wondering what I'd really accomplished. A number of years later, I was back in mission, and I stopped at that church, uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to introduce myself to the pastor there, because that's what I do periodically. And this pastor recognized me. He says, I've heard about you. 
He says, you know what? I'm out in this community, he says. I meet people to this day, 20 years later, who say to me, uh, they talk to me about this service, remnant service, and they talk to me about how it changed their lives. I had no clue, you know. Sometimes the way we measure with our eyes is not a true and accurate representation of what God has actually done through us. Sometimes the fruit we bear, you know, we, we won't see until a later date. But Jesus has said, and he said this to his disciples in John 15, I have chosen you to go and bear fruit, and fruit that lasts. Do you want to bear fruit for Christ? Is that the desire of your heart? You know, someone who truly follows Christ, they're not just looking for their own comfort. John 16, Jesus preached a very difficult sermon. He said, if you eat, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And it says, everybody abandoned him except for the 12. And Jesus looked at the 12 and he said, will you leave me as well? And Peter looks back at him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The disciples following of Jesus, it was not easy. It was difficult. And there were times when they, they couldn't do it and they all fled. And then they all come back, creeping back, right? But Jesus had chosen these people. He didn't choose them for their strength. He chose them, Paul says, for their weakness. But he chose them and he called them. And he assigned them to bear fruit. And so 2,000 years later, here we sit. We are part of the fruit. Do you want to bear fruit for Christ? If you want to bear fruit for Christ, well, that's what this psalm talks about. It says, when you anchor yourself in him, you will be like that person planted by the streams of water. When you take your time with him to meditate on his word, when you take your time to him to just simply be with him in prayer, and sometimes being with him in prayer just simply means to wait upon him. You know, that's one of the seasons that I'm in in my prayer life right now. Um, there's so much stuff to pray about, I get a little overwhelmed. Just thinking about it makes me exhausted. <laughs> and so I've been studying from my wife, and she says, just go into the room and sit there in his presence. So that's what I'm getting back to. I'm just going, Lord, this is dedicated time to you. I'm waiting on you. And the peace is returning to my soul. As we dedicate ourselves to him, he will nurture us. We will yield our fruit in season. And our leaf will not wither. And whatever we do will prosper. Well, the results of a wicked life lifestyle come forward. It says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Anyone here come from the farm, right? Chaff. What was chaff like? I remember as a kid, I used to ride in the, uh, the hopper um, of an old 1948 cock combine. That was what my grandfather uh, used to harvest his, uh, what was it, four quarters of land, I think, that he actually farmed. Um, and it was an open platform combine. And when you had a following wind, all the dirt and all the chaff blew past you. And we used to wear, uh, we used to wear a dust mask and we used to wear aviator goggles. And so when we came in off the combine, you peel the aviator goggles off, you had bright white eyeballs, you know, and, and, and white skin around your eyeballs, you took off your dust mask, big white patch around your face, all the rest of you was black. The chaff, what is the chaff? 
the chaff is that part of the grain that we don't want, right? Uh, we separate it out. Um, it blows away. It doesn't have any substance. It's not desired. There's no food value in it. The chaff. That's the image we have of those who are wicked. There's coming a day when the chaff will be separated from the wheat and it will blow away. It will be, be blown away. And there will be no consequence. So you think about that wicked lifestyle. Whatever you get from that wicked lifestyle means nothing at the end. And you will be blown away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Remember that sinners thing, right? When we think about sinners, those people who have dedicated themselves to a selfish lifestyle, those people who refuse to trust God, they will not stand in the judgment. When God calls an end to history, we will stand before him in judgment. We will all of us stand before him. Scripture says it is portion for us to all stand before him and to be judged. And those of us who have said yes to Christ and our sins have been washed away, those of us who have dedicated our lives to Jesus, we will be declared innocent and we will be ushered into heaven for eternity with him. And it will be a joyous time. And those who have refused him, those of us who have dedicated ourselves to selfishness, we, it says we will not stand in the judgment. We will be cast out. We will not be able to enter into heaven. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God watches over the way of the righteous. For those of us who have given our lives to Christ, dedicated our lives to Christ, whatever your life looks like right now, it says God is watching over your path. And you know, that's the, one of the challenges for us because as we learn how to walk with Christ, we actually learn how to walk as servants. That means God's not here to serve us. That means God's not just here to bless what we want to do with our lives. You know, I think about a couple of friends of mine that they're working hard for retirement and they get to the end of retirement, and God goes, you know what, I'm not done with you yet. So, <laughs> and they're going like, well, I sort of thought I was going to retire now, and I was going to have some fun. Well, don't worry, you'll probably still have fun. But God has his own plans for us. And when we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, we pray, Lord, your will be done, not my will. Lord, I give up my plans for my life so that I can, I can be used by you. And that's the place of fulfillment. And so it says the Lord watches over the path of those who trust him. You know, when we go back to verse 1, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. That's actually the definition of unrighteousness. When you, uh, when you walk in step with the wicked. When you walk in step with God, that is the definition of righteousness. Literally, righteousness means to walk in step with. So those who walk in step with God, we walk under the blessing of God. You know, and, and Jesus then, looking into, um, looking into John 17, he prays this prayer. So, you know, as, he, we, as we make the jump here to John 17 briefly, Jesus prays a prayer for those whom he has called. He prays a prayer for those whom he has appointed to bear fruit. He he prays this prayer for those who have trusted him. 
So first thing it says to them, he, as he prays the prayer, I want you to just hear the words of Jesus' prayer. Jesus says, as he prays to the Father, he says, I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So, you know, Jesus is praying now for us. You know, we go on to verse 21. You know, in up to verse 19, he's talking about his immediate disciples. And then as we go to verse 20 and 21, he says, I don't pray for just these alone, but for all of those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for us now. And then it says, he is re I have revealed you. Jesus has revealed the Father. God the Father, this God who was previously untouchable and unreachable. He's revealed him to us. He says, they were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. You know, the scripture that says it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Jesus says in John 5, 19 to 20, the son does nothing of his own initiative, only what he sees the father doing. What does it mean? Simple obedience. You know, Jacqueline was talking about this, this little thing, uh, this, uh, this meditation thing. She says, you know, God's been, had this on her heart for quite some time to do this Saturday meditation teaching. And she's put it off and put it off and put it off. And finally it's like, okay, you know what, it's time to do it. So she commits to do it and suddenly she gets all happy. And she's going, why am I so happy today? Oh, I know why I'm so happy today. I finally obeyed what God was telling me to do. There's something about joy, of, of joy in this obedience to Christ. So maybe if you're unhappy, maybe what you're, you know, jeepers, maybe I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> maybe you're scared of what's coming. And you're, you're scared of making a choice to, to make a move. And you're not happy, and the reason you're not happy is because you're holding back on your obedience. The, the obedient child is the happy child. He says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And he continues to pray. He says, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Have you accepted the word God has given you? There are many of us. God has given us a word. He's given us a directive, and we have not. You know, I think about the Israelites. You remember how they were called to cross the Jordan? And they went up to the Jordan, and they went, nah, too much for us. And... Uh, and they backed off and they all died in the wilderness and the next generation got, God brought back to the very same place because a part of their journey was to cross that Jordan. They had to go into that promised land. And there's one thing about God that I've learned over the years. He doesn't let you go downstream to cross the Jordan. He brings you back to the very place that he calls you to cross where you need to trust him. And unless you cross that Jordan, you wander in futility in your own little wilderness. Obedience. They knew that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not just praying for the world, he says, but for those you have given me. Jesus prays for us. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that may, they may be one as we are one. He's praying that God himself will protect us, each one of us, you know, 1 Peter 1.5, it says, we are shielded by the power of God through faith. He's praying for those who have believed in him. We, if we have trusted him, he is protecting us. We are under his protection. I want you to think about his protection. 
So here you are, you're protected, and you're under this clear dome of God's presence and power. And there's all kinds of danger outside. And, and you're terrified because you can see the danger. But you know what Psalm 91 says? It says you may see it, but it will not come unto you. Reminds me of a piranha that I had one time. I was in Bible school, and a bunch of us got bored, so we went and bought piranhas. And I grew this piranha until it was about this, this big. And it was pretty good at tearing up goldfish. You know, so if you bought goldfish, you know, the stupid thing, I remember going to the, the, uh, the pet owner, pet store owner, and he says, you know, if you toss a dozen goldfish in there, it'll eat one, and then it'll eat the next one, and it'll just sort of, you know, use that as its own little larder of food, and then you don't got to feed it for a while. Not my piranha. I dumped a dozen goldfish in there, it ripped around, it took a bite out of each one of them, and I had to throw them all out, right? Um, anyway, this piranha, he was quite fascinating. So I took this piranha home one day. I got out of college. I'm going back to work in Saskatoon. I'm moving back into my parents' basement. And the only, the only place I have to put this piranha, I took him home in an ice cream bucket, the only place I had to put him was in my brother's aquarium. My brother's aquarium was full of mollies and nice, cute little fish. Nemo-type fish, right? And I'm bringing in this barracuda. Well, this piranha, right? This vicious thing. So I went to the uh, pet store and I had described my conundrum. And the pet owner, pet store owner, he says, "Ah, no problem. I got a clear barricade here. You put it in the in the aquarium, and it'll separate the aquarium into two parts. And the piranha can live on this side, and the mollies can live on this side." And I'm thinking to myself, "Great." So I bought this. Uh, I put it in the aquarium. And uh, the piranha, <laughs> he could see right through and he could see all these little mollies. And he starts to attack the mollies. Except he keeps bouncing off the wall that's between. He can't see the glass that's holding him back, right? So he keeps bouncing. He spent like three days. And he'd work the bottom of that glass, the top of it. He'd sidle up and then go hard and bounce off. And he did everything he could do. At the end of three days, he quit trying. Well, one morning, about day five, we came down, and there was a little black molly that had found its way around, and it was in with the piranha. And the piranha had not touched it. And after that, we could just take the divider out, because the piranha had learned it couldn't touch. It could not touch those mollies. That's what it had learned. So, you know, guess what? You can actually teach fish, right? Anyway. This whole looking, when you think about the power of God, you know, <laughs> I want to think maybe look at that piranha from the mollies' perspective. They're terrified, but that piranha could not get at those mollies. It's the same thing with us. When we trust God, He covers us with the presence of His Holy Spirit, and He protects us. And though we look at the situations, the life situations around us, we, and we freak out sometimes, God says, don't worry. I have covered your way. I am watching your way. I am protecting you. Jesus, several times, he prays for this protection. He says, I'm coming for you now, verse, four, verse 13. But I, I, Jesus says, I am coming to you now, Father. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Why is Jesus saying this? Because he wants us to rest in him. Why has he exposed us to this prayer that he prayed, prayed for us? Because he wants us to trust in him and to rest in him. And in the place of that rest, there is joy. 
What's the thing that destroys your joy? Your fear? Yeah. Your anger? Yeah. Jesus wants us to know that we're under his covering as we walk this walk. And he wants our joy to be full. Not just our joy, but the full measure of his joy. I remember coming here one time again, this is the morning for stories, and we were doing communion over here. <laughs> and one of the pastors came up, this is after I left, and they tried to serve me communion. As they offered me the, blood, the, the, the body of Christ, I cracked up laughing. I, I, I couldn't even, I, so I'm, I'm busy laughing. So the guy moved past me and he served everybody else. I couldn't get over this, this laughing. Every time he showed up and he tried to give me communion, I'd start laughing again. And uh, I remember that moment because it wasn't so much funny, it was just joyful. Never experienced that since or before. When at communion, I was being offered the elements and I was, I'm cracking up because of the joy, right? That's what Jesus wants. That our joy would be full measure. He says, you know what? I've given them the, wor the word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Folks, we don't belong here. We belong ultimately in heaven. And this part of our journey is a short part of our journey. And in this journey, the way we're going to get through this journey is to trust him and his assurances that he has protected us. So then he finally says in verse 17, sanctify them by the, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they true might be truly sanctified. I did a little bit of a study in my Greek on this one. What does it mean to be sanctified? My, my Greek, uh, the, the Greek in here, the word can also be used, consecrated. Jesus consecrates his disciples to God. I give them to you, Father, that they may be fully dedicated to you, fully committed to you, fully carried by your purpose through this life. So folks, you know, Jesus has prayed for us. We walk by his Spirit we are under his protection. He intercedes for us and he has consecrated us to the service of God. As we cogitate on that a little bit, I want to give us a moment of time to pray in surrender to him. If you're walking, maybe you've taken counsel from some wicked folk. <laughs> and you can usually tell wicked counsel because it makes you selfish. Um, maybe you're in a situation right now where you're being tested. Will I take the counsel of God, the unselfish way, like my friend, uh, the businessman did, or my friend whose wife left him did, or will I take the selfish way? Maybe you need to make that choice. Maybe you're standing on the cusp of crossing the Jordan. You, need, you have something where you need to obey God, and you don't have your joy. The joy will come as you obey we want to pray those prayers of repentance, of surrender. Remember, prayer of repentance is a prayer of turning back. Turning back to his strength, not ours. Let's pray. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. 
Father, you know the call on each of us. And you've assured us, Lord, that as we walk in you, that we will become like those people who have been planted by streams of living water. We will be planted in your spirit, Lord. We will be nourished by you. And Lord, even though there might be drought all around us and the world caving in all around us, we will stand, our leaves will be green, and Lord, we will bear our fruit in season. This is your promise. Father, we come to lay at your feet now the, the burdens we've carried, the things we have fought with on our own. We come, Lord God, to lay down before you any ungodly counsel we have taken. And Father, to trust you. In this moment of time, I invite you to put before God whatever you need to put before Him. Lord God, we repent before you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you prayed for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have dedicated us and consecrated us to our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you have revealed him to us. We thank you, Lord, that you intend that your, the fullness of your joy will be ours. For that joy will be strength to us. Father, I bless my brothers and sisters as they hear this word. And Lord, as we all surrender to you, Lord, we give you Emmanuel and the ministry you've called us to here. We give you, Lord God, our families and the ministry you've called us to in our families. Lord, we give you the relationships we have as a church and in our community, Lord, that you would lead us in the way that is selfless, the way that is of Christ. And Father, we thank you. We now bless you because you are good. We bless you because you are gracious. We bless you, Lord, because you don't demand our performance, you just want our presence. Think about my friend, Lord, who you said to him, you're just here to love me. Father, we love you. And we thank you. And we receive what you give. In Jesus' name. Amen.